The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Thank you for taking the time of the, that we worshiped you, that we sang, and changing me. Lord, thank you for getting me anticipating the working of your Spirit. Thank you for getting me anticipating looking for miracles uh, during a time when your Spirit does his work in our lives. I pray in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, are you in sync today? Not, not the, you know, the boy band or whatever like that. But, I mean, are you, it, I was, you know, we had a little bit of a rough time getting going with the worship there. And I was a little out of sync with that. And then I have to pick on Pastor James when he messes up because he's such a together in sync guy, you know. And, uh, and he started to pray for the offering. And I thought he didn't have the folks come to take the offering. I was up here, you know, everybody else has their eyes closed. I was like, where are they coming? Okay, somebody's got to take the offering. Uh, so I was a little, little, and I thought, okay, we got to get in sync. And then the cool thing is right up that we started singing, Lord, would you change the atmosphere in here? And right away, God started changing the atmosphere. And then we started singing about looking for miracles. And I thought, you know, yeah, that's what we're doing here, asking God to do something awesome in this place. And uh, so anyway, I, I, was, I was having a good time. That was a little journey I was going on while you all, I don't know what you're doing, drinking coffee and worshiping, hopefully, uh, doing that. I uh, have... Some props today. Are you excited? Except I have to bend down and get them, so it could be a while. But uh, the first is actually right here. My son uh, has taken up teaching this year. He is a teacher. He is teaching high school math, which uh, I guess that means that he is uh, Jim Miscavige is his hero. So we'll have to have a long talk with my son sometime about that. But, uh, but he's teaching high school math for the first time. And uh, he'll call and, you know, first question, hey, how's the job going? And almost every time he says, well, it was better today. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, but he said, he said, yesterday, Dad, it was just so boring. He said, I read the, uh, what the lesson was about, and the whole class moaned. Some of you think, well, isn't that what school's all about? But um, I was remembering back in my days as a high school Bible teacher, uh, I had the seniors together, and I had this great idea of something I could teach them. We had just gone through, I think, Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, and they liked that and connected with that. And I stood up one day with this book right here. It's called Systematic Theology. And uh, I stood up, and I said, hey, we're going to take some time, and we're going to talk about systematic theology. And there was this collective moan. <laughs> no, it just doesn't sound exciting. Now, there's a few of you in here that when I say that, you'd be like, oh, that sounds good. But most of you are like the kids. <laughs> no, look at that book. That just doesn't look fun. Fortunately, we have something the Apostle Paul gave us where he took all of this and several other chapters and uh, multiple years of study and seminary and everything like that, and he condensed it for us into a perfect look at theology. And that's what we're going to read to begin with here from the book of Acts, chapter 17. I don't really need to set the stage because the Scripture is going to do that for us. But I am going to begin reading in verse number 16. Now when Paul, Paul, by the way, is on the second missionary journey at this point. When Paul was waiting for them at Athens, the them that he is waiting for uh, are a couple of his uh, compadres there in the ministry. That would be Timothy and Silas. 
And it says, uh, while he was waiting there, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was full of idols. And some of you are familiar with that, the Greek and Roman culture, and there are multiple gods, you know, everywhere, and their statues, and their uh, temples, all these different gods. So as he sees this, it troubles him, and so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some were Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, they also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of a foreign divinities uh, because he's preaching because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, "May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you have brought some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean." Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. If I could explain here, so here is Paul in the city of Athens. Uh, some of you might remember this from your world history class long ago, but uh, the Greeks were, of course, famous for their philosophers, Plato, Aristotle, those boys, uh, Socrates, Theocides, and I better stop right there. I'm going to hurt myself and somebody else. But, uh, but they loved to sit around and, uh, would the word be pontificate, you know, talk about uh, you know, all their ideas of the meaning of life. And, I mean, they just, that was their thing. It says they did this, like, all day long. They were there in the Greek marketplace in the Agora, and they loved to reason or tell each other their thought, thoughts on things. And they were even open to hearing from Paul because to them, it's kind of like this. There used to be a day when if I were to say, and I remember this, if I were to sit, present the idea of the gospel, which is very clear that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, there would be people that would say, oh, no, come on, you can't be like that. Today it is much more accepted because this, here's what people do. When I say that, they think, yeah, that's fine, that's what he believes. He can believe that. I can believe something else, and we can both be right. It doesn't make any sense, but that's what they think. I mean, they'll just write it off. Okay, that's what he believes. Well, in the Greek culture, they were ready to hear from anybody about anything, not because they were necessarily going to be persuaded, but they just liked to hear what different people believed. So they're all uh, you know, giving their little speeches and talking, and Paul says, okay, I have the opportunity here. I'm going to stand up and share. So he starts into this address that I think, again, is just the perfect uh, view of theology, a perfect study of God that he is going to give us right here. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus in verse number 22, he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along I observed the objects of worship. I found also an altar with an inscription that said, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Here he goes. I'm going to tell you who this is. He is the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human's hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the, earth, on the face of the earth, having determined the lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own prophets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we are not to think of the divine being as like gold or silver or stone or images formed by art or the imagination of man. 
The time, these times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now, he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed today when he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, as we look back at, I think, Paul's most famous sermon. First of all, would you like sermons that length? <laughs> and <laughs> I hate it when he does that. Okay. Uh, but, uh, and, and it's time to go. We're done. But um, when, as we look back at this, at this sermon that, that Paul preached, I want us to focus on a couple different ideas that we'll see in there as we continue our journey talking about these characteristics of God that we cannot have. These are things that are unique to God. We're going to look at the idea that he is our complete creator, okay, that he is the creator of the world or that he is self-existent and that he is complete in that he is uh, self-sufficient completely. So our first word that we look at is that idea is that God is self-existent. Okay, what did the scripture say? He, he is the creator of all things. Okay, uh, God lays that out very plainly. Uh, if you want to make two lists, start one list, you could say the things that are uncreated, and then over here you have the things that are created. Here's how it goes. it's real simple. On the list of things that are uncreated, you have one thing, God. On the list of things that are created, you have everything else. Uh, that's where it is. God is the creator. Everything else has been created. In the book of uh, Revelation, chapter 4, it's it talks about the, some creatures of heaven worshiping him. It says, they said, worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. God is distinct from everything else. He is the only creator. That makes him holy. We can rearrange things, but God creates. Okay? Science teaches us very clearly a law that is called the law of biogenesis. Life has to come from life, okay? Life has to come from something that is already alive. So in science, we find that there absolutely has to be something and or someone, I will say, someone who is eternal because life can't come from non-life. And God is the one who has always existed and who is the creator of everything else. So God is the one who has the right to say, my house, my rules. Because he is self-existent, we have reason to do a few different things. The first of them I want you to think about is that we have great reason to trust him because he is the creator, because he is self-existent. As we go through this series and talk about these different characteristics of God, my prayer, to be honest, it, it begins with my prayer for myself, but my prayer that I can also communicate to you and help you with is this idea that we will grow in our trust. I think this is such a cornerstone. A.W. Tozier said this. He says, sanctification is the process of learning dependency. Let me break that down a little bit here. Sanctification is this idea. We talk about the fact that we are saved. We experience salvation and come begin our life in Jesus Christ. But then sanctification is the process of growing or him setting us apart, of us maturing in him. But Tozier said that the sanctification is actually us growing in our dependency upon him. This is such a key that we be learning to trust, that we believe in him and therefore we can, that we know him better and therefore we can trust him more. When uh, our small group was working through some different sermons back this last spring, uh, one of the guys was preaching about God being the creator. And it really struck me because at the time I was facing something that I was like, you know what, I don't have a clue what to do about this. 
I mean, I, I really, I was just like, I don't know where to begin. It's a problem I need to solve. It's a problem, I, something I was struggling with. And I had no clue where to start. And this guy was preaching away, and he says, when you don't feel very creative, when you don't know what to do, I got an idea. Why don't you give it to the one who is the most creative being in the universe? And really just help me to surrender that to him and say, hey, I have no idea what to do here of God, but I know you are the creator. I know what you can do. So when I understand that he is this creator, I have reason to trust. I have reason to worship him. In the book of Daniel, chapter 4, there's a story of a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And the Bible says of Nebuchadnezzar that one day he said this, Is not this great Babylon what I have built by my mighty power as a royal resident and for the glory of my majesty? He says, is this incredible kingdom not something that uh, I, I've done? I created this. And the story goes on in Daniel chapter 4 and tells how God humbled him. And then it ends with him uh, changing his tune a little bit. It says at the end there, uh, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he says, my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts, uh, hosts of heaven. But this man, you know, began by thinking, uh, I have accomplished this, and how often do I forget my worship and, and the things that I've accomplished with my children and the things I've accomplished with my job and the things I've accomplished with my ministry? And I think, hey, this once again is all about me. When I understand that he alone is the creator, it gives me cause to worship. It gives me cause to steward or to realize that nothing belongs to me. I simply manage what he has given me. Scripture says in the book of Ecclesiastes that there is nothing new under the sun. If you, uh, I, I think this is interesting today. If, if you walk in to most people's homes and uh, you see, you know, they have this really cool creative idea and, you know, something, you know, some way they pictured their family or some welcome sign or whatever like that. And you say, oh, hey, I like this. Do you know what the next words usually are out of people's mouths? I found it on. Pinterest, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I know, Pinterest, isn't that wonderful? Uh, you know, somebody throws a little party and they have all these creative ideas for this, this, and this, and they say, I found that on Pinterest, and, and uh, you can share ideas, but you know that there is no, nothing that we actually create. We take ideas and we rearrange them. There's nothing that poets or poet or artists have actually created, but what they can do is they can take the things that God has created and they can rearrange them. God creates, <laughs> people arrange. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 uh, says, What do you have that you have not received from him? It is all him. A fourth thing that I think comes when I realize that God is the creator and self-existent is it gives me hope. Um, here's my other uh, prop here I wanted to show you. One night, uh, my uh, wife got a hold of the remote. Not sure how that happened. Sometimes she beats me into the room. Uh, that's not really true, is it? I'm pretty good. I, I give her, you know, unless there's something I really want to watch and I have to go in the other room and watch, uh, then, I, you know, I, she, she, I usually let her, because I'm really irritating with the remote. <laughs> I can't stop switching. But, uh, but anyway, she had the remote one night and she stopped on, which she'll do occasionally, the Antique Road Show. Uh, yeah, don't yeah that. <laughs> That's just irritating. But anyway, and, and uh, but she, watch it one night, and I'm watching this thing, and, you know, this guy had found something in his house that was passed down a couple generations. I don't really know what it's worth, you know. And, you know, uh, well, it's worth, 
you know, $30,000. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, I was going to sell it in a garage sale, you know, that, that type of thing. So I got looking around my house. And uh, now I've told you, we are some of the most unsentimental people as far as, I mean, we just, you know, when mom died, we went through her stuff. And, you know, it was either garage sale or, or uh, <laughs> dumpster. <laughs> that's kind of our choices. You know, some of you are thinking, that's terrible because you, you know, I can't get rid of it. It was my mother's. I understand that, but, well, I don't understand it. I, I get that you're like that, but I'm not like that. I'm not. The one thing that we have held on to is this baby right here. This was my great-grandmother Thomas's. And then my grandmother, Thomas, and then my parents had it in their house. So this is the one thing I decided to hold on to. I tried to glue it to the front of my car. That would be a really cool hood ornament, but that didn't go too well. So we just keep it over by the fireplace here. And uh, as I'm looking around the house that night, I thought, you got to have some value in that baby. Okay, that's got to be worth something. So I got out my computer, looked it up. You ready for this? $57. Yeah. $57. That's it. Uh, if you're going to rob us, this is still the thing you want to take because it's probably our most valuable possession. But $57 stinking dollars. Now, I did learn this, that if you could get one that had a little cigar sticking out of his mouth that you can press a button and he'll light your cigar with his, then it's worth four times that. But, so if anybody knows how to hook that up for me, let me know. Uh, because we, we could you know, quadruple the value of this baby real, real easy. But, you know, you watch this little show and they'll look at different things, and it really doesn't matter how pretty something is or how good it is, stuff like that. The thing that always goes to is its origin. Have you ever noticed that? The value is based on its origin. It, uh, you know, wait a minute. This, yes, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a saucer. But one day, George Washington held that saucer. You know, oh, uh, we'll pay millions of dollars. I'd like to know how they actually prove some of that stuff. But uh, you know, hey, this is valuable because of its origin, because where it came from. I have incredible hope in God being the creator because, very simply, I am valuable because of my origin. Real, real simple. It has nothing uh, to do with anything other than what he says that I am and that I am in him. In him I find my being. In, in him I, I move and breathe. I am in him. Therefore, I have the hope of this value. I have the hope because he is the one who can create something out of nothing. He is the one, we actually sang about it, or maybe you prayed about it between the songs because I was thinking about it, but who takes nothing, who takes hopelessness and brings hope. You said something about you, he creates something out of a mess and takes our something and makes it even better. That was a paraphrase, but it was good. Uh, but I thought, you know, hey, that's who, you know, that's who he is. He is this, this one who can create something out of nothing. Uh, who can take that person in whom we might not see any value whatsoever. And the Bible says that in Christ, this person becomes a new creation, a new creature. So I have incredible hope because my God is self-existent. My God is the one and only creator. But not only is he self-existent, he is also self-sufficient. In that word that I put up top, the word complete we have that idea that he is complete. He is self-sufficient. From Paul's sermon, we find very simply that he is in need of nothing. He does not live in temples that man makes. He is not dependent or served by human hands because he needs nothing. 1989, there was an advertising uh, campaign that actually launched a new word in our vocabulary. This little pink rabbit that goes along and bangs the drum. Okay? We still know that. That was 1989. Some of you weren't even around then, but you still know about the Energizer Bunny. 
And sometimes, you know, you look at your kid and he's running around and you think, oh, man, the kid's the Energizer Bunny or, or you know, or the dog or something like that because they have this boundless energy. We are fascinated with this idea of perpetual motion. We love the idea of the newest cell phone coming out. Do you know how long this battery will last? It's incredible. I only have to plug it in once a year or, you know, I'm trying to get, we're trying all the time to come up with something uh, that will just sustain itself, that will keep going. People have been doing this literally for centuries trying to develop this idea. Not understanding that God is the source of that, of, of all things. God is the source of all things. He keeps everything moving. You know, I've always been amazed by that, you know, even in the medical world, you know, as to what, what is the source of life? You know, say, so well, you're alive because your heart is beating. Your heart is beating because your brain sends impulses to it. Your brain sends impulses to it because your heart is beating. Uh, and you get kind of caught in a circle of basically this understanding that God is the source of everything. Uh, he is self-existent, ex self but He is also self-sufficient. He is the one who main maintains life. He is needed by all, but needful of nothing. I heard uh, a teacher one time in air. Uh, he was wrong, but he was saying that uh, God looked around and, and he was lonely, so he decided to create man. Kind of a neat idea, but it's not right. God has no needs. Okay? Uh, he was complete in himself. The Trinity was complete there. God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit. They did not need companionship. God created us gladly. God loves us infinitely, but God does not need us. Okay? Maybe I'll just say that one more time. He created you gladly. He loves you infinitely, but he does not need us. And one of the things that this, his self-sufficiency reminds us is that we have a need for him to have no needs. If I could explain that for, for a second here, there, there's a few different reasons why we have the need of a God who has no needs. One of them is we don't want anything in his work to depend on us. We mess up enough. I had, a, I had a, you know, I thought, hey, maybe I should illustrate with some of my mess-ups. And I thought, oh, I do that every week. You know, why, why continue on, on the list there? But I don't want, you know, the work of God to be dependent upon me because I'm going to drop the ball. And if God's work was to depend, dependent upon me, he would be dependent upon me. And, uh, and somewhere it's not going to be fulfilled. We need a God who does not have any needs. We need a God who does not owe anybody anything. I actually sat under a preacher for five years that was uh, an incredibly charismatic pastor of a megachurch. Uh, he was the easiest pastor you could ever imagine to listen to. He'd preach an hour and 15 minutes, and you think you were there for 10. Uh, he was incredibly good. But I learned later as I matured that uh, <laughs> what he said wasn't always true. Uh, he was good. But uh, one of the things that I actually remember him saying, he stood up and he said, you know what? He said, young men. He said, if you make yourself valuable enough to God, then when you, when you stumble and fall, God will still need you so that he will continue to use you. He used that statement. If you make yourself valuable enough to God. Now, I found out later that he had a bunch of secret sins in his past, and I think he was operating on that idea. That he was a good enough preacher, talented enough leader, charismatic enough person that it didn't re really matter. Now, understand, God does use flawed people or he wouldn't use anybody. But God is not depend on anybody if we can get that through our heads it's not like God needs me somehow and if he did 
our God could be tempted. And the scripture says in uh, the first chapter, James, verse number 13, that our God cannot be tempted. But if he had needs, he could actually be controlled by others. Think about the, the dumb choices that we, we make sometimes because of our needs and our appetites. Many of them in the area of food. Have you ever eaten one of those uh, breakfast sandwiches they have in the gas stations? Enough said right there. You were really desperately hungry. So you paid three fifty for that thing, right? Okay, very bad decision, but you were hungry, and it was all there was. You were out in, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, my, my wife and I, one time, we were traveling. Actually, we were driving back from Colorado with my mom. And uh, in her car, the, uh, she always had this thing, you know, when you got below half a tank, you had stuff for gas. And uh, we were driving along, and the little gas light actually came on. And if there's ever reason to lie to your mother, that was it. Uh, you know, she, she was like, what was that bing? I said, nothing. <laughs> Sometimes I just do that bing. Uh, and I had my hand on the dashboard trying to hide it. And I realized it was time that we got off the road pretty soon. So somewhere in the middle of Nebraska, I pulled off. And it was, you know, you, you hit just the wrong exit. So we had to travel about two miles down the road. We pulled into this little gas station. There was a, I, I'm not exaggerating, there was no way to pay at the pump. And this was just a few years ago. There's no way to pay at the pump. When you went in and paid with a credit card, they had the little slide thing. Uh, and this lady's in there smoking away with 8 million cats around. Uh, we, were, we were desperate and had to use the restroom, so we went in anyway. And I paid an outlandish price for this gasoline because I was desperate. When you get yourself in a situation where you're needy, you're dependent upon somebody else, our God has no needs. He is never beholden to somebody else. He never owes anything. anything. You know, another thing that's kind of cool there, too, is because our God has no needs, he is not a respecter of persons. Can you see God greeting you at the door, and you walk in, and you think, eh, these people, what type of car did they drive? Eh, it'd be nice if they joined the church, but they probably don't have not much money. I don't know why I always pick on Robert when I think of somebody with a lot of money. But, uh, but then I come over here, and Robert pulled up in his Jaguar. And I'm thinking, yeah, we could use this guy's money. Hey, hey, welcome. Uh, you get to sit in the front row, you know, that, that, that type of thing. Uh, can you imagine God thinking, oh, man, this guy over here, he's good looking. I'd like to have him up front leading. This guy over here is a great talker because that's how God always picked people. And the Bible is based on their abilities, like m -m 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 Moses, right, who couldn't talk at all. But, uh, you know, we have this idea somehow that our value to God is dependent, you know, upon our, our gifts and abilities, which he gave us, and that somehow he is respect, and he, he values some people over others because they have more abilities that he gave them. It really doesn't make any sense at all. We need a God who has no needs. Isn't that cool? Second thing we need is we need to need. Okay? We, second thing is very simply we need to need. We were created we were designed to need God and to need other people. You say, well, that was after the fall. No, if you go back to the garden, Adam and Eve, before the fall, before sin entered the world, they were designed to be in need of God. He was still their sustainer and their giver of life. This is how we were made. We were made to need Him. We were, we were made to need other people. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about the idea of can they, you know, will the hand say to the foot, I don't need you. Well, the uh, arm say to the leg, I don't need you. No, that doesn't work like that. That God has designed us to need other people. And when we practice self-sufficiency, instead of realizing that he is self-sufficient, we're going to get into some burdens here. One of the things is it's going to result in prayerlessness in our lives. I can provide, so why do I need the provider? Another thing that it will produce in our lives with our self-sufficiency is forgetfulness. 
The children of Israel over and over again got themselves in a bind and forgot how God had provided for them. Forgot the things that God had done. And we run that same pattern many times in our lives. When we get inside, we, we forget. We got to try to solve this. We forget that we have a God who has never failed us. Okay? We forget that. Anger. When a need is exposed in our lives, sometimes this is the result. My mom had this thing wherever she, she hated with a passion to cry in public. I mean, hated it. I mean, like, where if you knew she was going to cry, you ran because she was going to get mean. Because she did not like to cry in public. I can't admit my need for anything like that. But we, we lose sight of the idea that the Scripture tells us that we can rejoice in tribulation. We're not going to be able to do that. We're going to have anger when our needs come because we have to be able to solve it on our own. And if we can, it will create anger. It can create isolation in our lives. I want you to think with me for a second. Just imagine what I'm talking about. Um, survival, a survival list, okay? He's probably a guy because it normally seems like that, but he's gone off to live off the grid. Okay, he's living in the mountains somewhere. He's growing his own food, hunting his own food. He hasn't had contact with people for years. Okay, of course, I'd, I'd imagine he has some bombs rigged up around his house. But, uh, uh, but he, you know, he's totally, as much as he can, you know, everything on the roof is camouflaged. He's totally off the grid. Now, that might sound kind of cool, uh, or it might just sound weird. It might sound kind of cool. But let's say it does sound kind of cool to you. Hey, I, I kind of like people like that, or kind of like march to the beat of their own drum. Now, let me ask you this. Let's say, do you want your daughter to marry that guy? Probably not. Because even if you think it's, that's kind of cool, maybe you're thinking maybe that's where you're headed after church today, off in the, uh, the mountain somewhere. I don't know, but maybe you think that's kind of cool. But you, you, you understand that when somebody lives by themselves, not accountable to anybody, nobody, no other input in their lives, I don't know how else to say this, but they become weird. I mean, it ain't. <laughs> that was real nice of you. Uh, but they do. I mean, there, there's no balance. There, there's nobody to say, hey, you know, you're off a little bit on, on this. I mean, people just get kind of, when they live in isolation, because we're not designed to live in isolation. It is not a healthy situation for us to handle everything on our own and say, I got this. This is okay. That's not how we're made. But because of my self-sufficiency, I can often run to isolation Another thing that I'll end up doing is, is spend some time in concealment as far as my problems go and my sin. I don't need any help. I can beat this on my own. Okay? I don't need any help, and it's going to be embarrassing to reveal it, so I'm going to solve this problem on my own. I don't need any outside help with my marriage. I'm fine. I don't need any, any outside help with my drinking. I'm fine. I don't need any help with my uh, 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 thought life. I'm fine. I don't need any help. I'm good. Okay? I, I don't need you, and therefore we hide our sin, and the Bible says that uh, he that hides his sin will not prosper. But when we confess, when we bring it out into the light, that's where we can get some help. But self-sufficiency drives us to concealment. Self-sufficiency drives us most definitely to pride in our ability to press the right button. But I, I don't think we always realize what an ugly sin pride is. You know, because, hey, we all have this, no big deal. But if we read the Scripture, especially the book of Proverbs, we will find that uh, it's ugly. Pride fills our lives. We're uh, embarrassed and uh, have a great resentment when, everybody, when anybody would point it out. But definitely our self-sufficiency creates this. And another thing that it can create in our life is sheer exhaustion. 
because everything depends upon me. I have to push myself to the limit. If I don't do it, nobody is going to. I forget that God gave us the principle of the Sabbath and the importance of rest, and I drive myself to a place of burnout because it depends upon me and in my self-sufficiency. I'm worn out all the time. I'm exhausted. So we need a God, first of all, who has no needs, right? We need to need. And thirdly, let's just go a little bit further with that. We need to need him. We need to, be, to need him. You know, I've tried to state as clear as I can in here that the, the pathway to being right with God, the pathway to becoming a child of God, the pathway to being a Christian, if you want to call it that, does not involve works. It doesn't involve anything particularly that I do. It doesn't involve any particular church that I go to, whether it be the Presbyterian church or this church or the uh, Methodist church or the Catholic church. It doesn't involve any of those churches. Uh, we've talked, to, uh, and, and, I, and I will say with great certainty that this is what Scripture teaches, that there is only one pathway to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. I want to say that first. There is only one pathway to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. The Bible makes that incredibly clear. Just in the words of Christ, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. However, I'm also going to say this, that there are many different pathways to Jesus, if you want to say it like that. For example, maybe through some of the different churches. Uh, you know, Maybe through different people that God has brought in your life that, that God will use to bring you to, to, to Jesus. Okay? And uh, I get, what I'm getting at here is we all have a different story of how we got here today. Or, you know, if we're following Christ, why we're following him. We all have a different story. But what I want to say is there is one common ingredient in everybody's story who is a child of God and who's trusted in Jesus Christ. And that one common ingredient is they came to a place when they realized they had a need. I need a Savior. I need Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, I need the one who God sent to die for my, for my sins. Somewhere there is that recognition that uh, in Jesus' first sermon on, in Matthew chapter 5, his Sermon on the Mount, the first thing that he said is, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They are poor in spirit. They are bankrupt in spirit. They're spiritually broke. They need God. And they realize that. I think it was uh, last, well, I know it was, last November. I think it was the Thursday before Thanksgiving. That was our first snow last year. You guys want to boo just the whole thought of snow come? Uh, but, uh, but I think that was our first decent snow last year. I remember I was driving from here up to Camp Freedon's Wall up by you guys up there and, and Cassopolis. And I was going down, it wasn't Calvin Center Road, Calvin something or other. Calvin something. Calvin Hill maybe? No, I wasn't on Calvin Center. It was Calvin something. Uh, but I was zipping along there, and uh, there was the first snow on the ground. It was kind of slippery, but I had my new car that had all-wheel drive. So I was, of course, invincible. Uh, and I was buzzing along this road. Nobody's around at a good time. And also, I really don't know how I got to this place, but I kind of looked over here and saw the back of my car passing the front of my car. <laughs> Knew it wasn't a great situation. If, if you've ever been there, just that total loss of control. And uh, I thought, this isn't going to be good. And uh, there was a ditch on each side of the road. There wasn't anything else around for a long time, though. I could see a mailbox way up there. But I started, you know, swerving around and everything like that, just trying to keep it in the middle of the road and it wasn't slowing down. I felt like I was speeding up. And uh, I thought that mailbox is getting closer and closer and closer. So fi and finally, I, uh, I ended up 
partway into the ditch. I had one tire really still on the road, one in kind of the grass on the side, and the other two were down in the ditch. I had missed the mailbox by a good 10 feet. I stopped comfortably short of the, of the mailbox. That was good. And I, you know how you feel, just whoo, like that. And of course, I have all-wheel drive, so no biggie. I'm getting out of there, no trouble. Throw it in reverse. <laughs> I just start thinking, uh, I don't know what the point of that all-wheel drive is. But anyway, uh, I'm, I'm sitting there, uh, get out my cell phone, no reception. And I thought, okay, well, you know, what exactly I'm going to do? So I actually, you know, you think, I don't know what you think you can do sometimes, but uh, you get out and I, I kind of uh, put the car in neutral and tried to rock the car on my own to push it out of the ditch. Didn't work too well. I walked up to the house that had the mailbox and uh, nobody was home. There was nothing else around close, you know, so I'm sitting there out in the middle and, uh, you know, it, it literally it was about 10, 12 minutes before anybody came by and a girl came by and I'm trying to wave her down. <laughs> no! <laughs> I saw you on America's Most Wanted. Uh, you know, she just kept going. You know, she wasn't going to stop. I think a couple other cars did the same thing. And finally, I, I just about given up. And I see off in the distance this old pickup truck coming. And it's one of these, the smoke's coming out of the back of it. You know, as it gets closer, you read the license plate that says, uh, you know, guns don't kill people. I do. You know, that type of thing. Uh, and, the, you know, the, the, these two guys come up. And uh, they, they begin to slow down, and at that point, I'm thinking, I can live in this ditch the rest of my life. It's no problem. Uh, but they begin to slow down, and they kind of look at me, and I said, uh, finally, I walked over, and I said, could you guys help me push this out? You ain't going to be able to push that out. Okay. And he gets out of the car, and he parades around to the back of the back of his pickup truck. He parades around to the back of that, slides a few beer cans to the side. I think they were empty. Uh, and he... Uh, he grabs uh, his tow rope and never says a word to me, just goes over, puts it on his truck, puts it on my car. His buddy says, can I have your keys? <laughs> okay. Uh, and, uh, and he gets in. The one guy drives the truck. The other guy drives my car. They pull it out. I, the good news is my car is out. The bad news is I don't have a car anymore. No, they, uh, they, they get done. They unhook it. They get in the car. I went over. I said, can I give you something? <laughs> Uh, and they drive away. That was the extent of our conversation right, right there. But I was out and uh, fi finished the trip. But the story reminded me, first of all, it reminded me not to judge people, <laughs> again, by their look. But also, um, at this point, I mean, that would not, you know, if I called the tow truck, somebody showed up like that, I'd be, you know, in the complaint department. Come on. Uh, you know, who'd you send out here? What is, this isn't who I wanted to get help from. You know, this was like a ZZ Top or uh, some type of cross between, you know, Duck Dynasty and the folks from Deliverance or something. I didn't really want to, uh, I didn't really want to accept their help. That wasn't who I would have called to come out. But at that point, I was desperate. You know, for a lot of people, the image of a man who's beaten to death, to the point of death. He's bloody. This guy's never owned anything in his life. Barely holding on to life, being spread out on a cross and crucified as a common criminal. And for somebody to say, hey, this is the one that you need to trust in. This is the only one that has hope. This is the one who can deliver you from your sin and the penalty of sin. If you'll repent of your sin, turn to him, trust in him, and believe in him. That's kind of a repulsive idea. That's where I get my help. Do you know who you're talking to? Okay. Do you know who you're talking to? You want me to get help from this car carpenter, former carpenter who's got, who's got nothing at and for a lot of people, that's where they find an offense in the gospel of Christ. Wait a minute. You want me, you want me to humble myself and say, God, I can't get to heaven on my own. I'm not good enough. I need a Savior. 
You want me to come to that place? You want me to recognize that I am dependent upon him? And for a lot of people, that right there becomes this stumbling block. Can I plead with you today to say that that dependency in your life, that need in your life, is the greatest thing that could happen to you as it drives you to Jesus Christ? And maybe even while I'm talking, in your heart you'd say, God, that's where I am. I need to say, hey, I can't bring you to that place. You know, I could, I don't want to, but if I, if I could, I don't want to, you know, dramatically bring you to the place. Oh, you're just lower than scum and get you to the place where I can't bring you to the place. God's Holy Spirit, though, most definitely can. And as he brings you to that place of, I know I need the Savior. Boy, that's what I remember in my life. The time when I just realized, I know I need this. I know I need salvation. I know I need to trust Jesus. If you're at that place today, may I encourage you, even as I'm talking, you can just in your heart pray this prayer. God, I know I need you. I know I can't earn heaven. I know I'm not good enough, but I, I want to trust Jesus for forgiveness of my sins. I want to trust Jesus for eternal life. God brings you to that place of dependency and recognizing how much you need him. For the rest of us, can we see today? Can we take a, a picture of a minute? of our God, the creative one. And maybe it's just as simple as the thing God wants you to remember today is you have a situation, you have a person that is helpless. God creates out of nothing. And God can change that, that person. And don't, don't give up on, the, on that. Don't give up on that situation. Maybe it's just to realize how perfect our God is and the fact that he has no needs is exactly the God that we need. Because if he had needs, he wouldn't really be God anymore. We're going to pray together uh, as we do. The worship team is going to come back up, and we're going to adore him again before we leave. That's, I don't know. I just really kind of like to go out singing his praise. But I want to um, just invite you also, if, if something I said is maybe it's just not sitting well, or, or maybe you just have a follow-up question, I would love to be able to sit down and talk to you. If we can't do it today, then, you know, at your convenience this week, we'll try to get together. Because uh, you know, Pastor James said one of the things that we like to do here is hopefully during this time ask God to use this time to connect you more to him. And uh, that miraculous thing that I, that I anticipate God doing the, during this service, that's what it's about is he works in our hearts, draws us to him. First of all, draws us to a place of belief in him and then continues to grow us in our trust and dependency on him. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. Father, um, I have to stop, Lord. I get on these uh, kind of, a, I guess it's adrenaline. I don't know, Lord. But I get pumped up there, and I, I, sometimes I get running ahead, and sometimes I get even running ahead of you. Lord, my desire is that when, as, as a result of being here today, we know more about you, but we know you better. Because, Lord, I believe that that will develop that trust that really does change our lives a trust that impacts our families, a trust that helps us shepherd our children towards you, a trust that uh, other people can see, and that draws them to you too. Uh, Lord, would you, would you continue to do miraculous things through who you are? May we recognize it is in you 
that we have our very life, that we have our very being. And may we grow in our trust for our self-sufficient God. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.